check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome to Red Storm Chasers. I'm Vincent here with Craig, Tim, and Nick. On this episode, we'll take a look at the COVID rule change and the rescheduling that followed. We'll break down the DePaul and Providence matchup, and then we'll be joined by our special guest, Marcus Hatton. Guys, it's good to be with you again. How's everything going? Well, I haven't got COVID. That's something that's going well for everyone else. Well, fingers crossed uh, that stays good for all of us, you know. Uh, it's crazy out there right now, so hopefully we get through that. Other than that, Christmas was good. Yeah, it was a crazy time. Christmas was good. As I said in the last podcast, I am off from law school now, so having a lot of fun enjoying the Christmas season. It's full-fledged Christmas for me, so it was great to see all my family, all my girlfriend's family. We both got a very big family. Got to see both sides. It was it's a great time. We had a little COVID scare. We got tested today, but we're A-OK, baby-O, so we're good. Yeah, it is It is getting bad out there, so everyone be safe, be careful, make sure you go out and do what you have to do to make sure you avoid COVID as much as possible. Wish we had some St. John's games to watch I, over that yeah. time. It's well, exactly right. what I was going to say. Well, Unfortunately, I mean, COVID hasn't avoided St. John's. Yeah, I mean, out of all the times for us to have a, a big lull in games because of COVID, thankfully we got stuff going on. It could have been a much worse time. It could have been middle of January. We all kind of looking around going, ah, I really miss some St. John's basketball right now. At least we had Christmas. Yeah, it's hey, never hey, a good hey. time to miss St. John's basketball. My Although, to be honest. in the middle of January. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Tim hates Vince's birthday, though. God, all right. I know who's not getting invited this year. <laughs> well, to be honest, you know, but leaving with the Pittsburgh game after our last taste of St. John's basketball for the last, like, two and a half weeks is – not great. bitter, not great. Why Very are you bringing bitter. it up? This lull was to forget that. Oh right, we're trying uh, to forget. Just great. to recap, we've missed four games now: at Seton Hall versus Butler versus Marquette, and at Georgetown. All missed because St. John's had too few players to meet the minimum. Uh, originally, the Big East rule was that if the team couldn't reach the minimum, they'd forfeit. So actually, the Seton Hall game was not St. John's fault. It was Seton Hall's. Miss it would have been a forfeit. We talked in our last podcast about basically getting a free conference win. They've now since amended that rule, and that win been taken away. I I think it's a good change though. I mean I know we lost a win because of it, but we've now rescheduled our game against Seton Hall, which I think is the right move. Yeah, yeah. I mean our goal is the tournament. It's not having an extra win in the Big East that doesn't count towards the tournament. So now we have a chance for a quad one victory. Especially now that it's not at the Rock. Right. They, that game has been moved to Walsh Gym on the campus of Seton Hall. Just going back to what games have been rescheduled, Seton Hall, we will now play them twice within 57 hours. We'll play them at noon at the Garden on the 22nd of January. We'll then play them again at Walsh Gym on the 24th of January. So quick turnaround with a lot of Seton Hall there. The Marquette game... Hasn't been rescheduled yet as far as I know. No, I think as of right now, at, at the time of we're recording it, uh, only Seton Hall has been rescheduled. I know okay. they're working to yeah, reschedule the Yeah, but Georgetown and Butler haven't either. Just to go back to the rule for a second, I think that was the right call by the Big East to, make, to, to get rid of the forfeits because the idea of that rule was uh, to try to incentivize teams to get vaccinated, uh, and most of the teams did, and you know this new variant has... Um, 
you know, evaded those vaccines. So we're working to catch up on that. But in the spirit of the rule was it was trying to do that. And now those teams did it and now they're getting punished anyway. So it doesn't make a lot of sense really to do that. So I think this was a good rule. Most of the conferences have also done the same thing. I think it just it just makes sense. Forfeits are bad. They look bad. It doesn't really help anyone. We'd rather play the games. I'd rather get the shots. Yeah, 100%. And shout out Val Ackerman for listening to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into what will finally be the next St. John's game on Wednesday, home at Carneseca Arena against DePaul. DePaul having a great season. Really not the DePaul teams of old who have struggled before Big East play and, and continued their struggles. They're 9-2. and two. They'll play Providence on New Year's Day before coming to play us. But looking at this team, this is a team with some real talent. Javon Freeman-Liberty leads the team in points per game, assists per game, and steals per game. He averages 20.2 points per game and 8.2 rebounds per game. He's a guard, so he'll be a problem for us up front. And they also have David Jones down low, averaging 17.4 points and 8.3 rebounds. He'll be a problem for us down low. He shoots 52% from the field. So he, when when they get the ball down to him, he knows what to do with it. Those are the two big guys we're going to have to watch out for. And both of them could give us trouble if we have to split the floor. A real troubling number, I think, for us is DePaul is plus 6.7 in rebound margin. That's a number we be getting killed on. And it's a number that could cause us real trouble if they're able to get as many rebounds as they typically do. You know we're going to have to see out of our guys? Boxing out. Boxing out, baby. They get, that's, that's the big factor. And we're going to see it. Well, we, well, you look at uh, Freeman Liberty. He's 6'4", under 200 pounds. David Jones, only 6'6", still under 200 pounds. We have guys that match up. Julian's going to be, I mean, I'm pretty sure he'll be good by the time this game comes up. He, he he got COVID before most of the teams, so he should certainly be cleared for game time. Yeah, he's zero. I mean, you throw him on, he's got the size, he's got the weight. He's never slow-footed, so that's a good matchup for him. 6-4 for Freeman Liberty, you throw on Wusu or Mathis. I, I, I think with the guys that can rebound for us, match up well with the guys that can will can rebound well for them. Yeah, I think also um DePaul we have to talk about, you know, playing it's our first biggest game. We are gonna have the long layoff due to COVID where um some guys were practicing, some guys weren't, so hopefully uh we don't lose some of the progress that we made the last couple games minus Pittsburgh, um in in gelling as a team. The other thing about DePaul we have to talk about is you can't talk about DePaul this year unless you talk about our home game against DePaul last year, which really um, drove a stake in our uh, NCAA tournament hopes. So definitely a little bit of a revenge that we definitely want to get on them here at home. Uh, not a, a game we can afford to lose this year either. Um, so hopefully we you know, we come out strong and we take care of business in our, our now Big East opener. A number that could be positive for us, they're only plus .8 in terms of turnover margin. They average 12.7 turnovers per game. We're still plus 3.5 in turnover margin, turning teams over 17.9 times. If we can get them in their turnovers like we have with most teams, we can eat into the rebound battle 
And I think those are kind of going to be the two numbers that can push the game to see who's who's controlling the pace of game. If we can control the turnovers significantly, it, it's good, it could be a real good day for us. We also need to turn those turnovers into points, though. That was a, a thing we talked about last week with Zach, um, and it was a problem for us in the Pittsburgh game. The turnovers are great. We need them to happen, but we need to convert on those. Otherwise, you know, all that sort of offense is predicated on getting those quick um, – you know, free points in a sense on the turn off the turnover, and if we're not converting those, you know, we struggle. Well, compared to last year, DePaul, we don't have to worry about Charlie Moore dropping twenty four points on because he's at Miami, and uh, Paul Cap, he's at West Virginia, so both of them went to old Big East teams, and now they're gone. So, two less people we have to worry about. True, but this team is better. I mean, they they had a much better non conference schedule. They beat a couple of Power 6 teams, so, you know, they're not exactly just the cupcake pencil in the win that they have been in past years. The big wins they have are versus Rutgers and at Louisville. They did play a good game against Loyola Chicago, but they did end up losing that game. Yeah, they're a young team. Um, you know, they had one of their best recruiting classes in, you know, my since I can remember, I'm not going to say my lifetime because I don't remember the beginning of it, but and since I could ever remember, they had their best recruiting class uh, two years ago when they made their new uh, stadium in the 10 minutes outside of downtown rather than playing out in Rosemont. So they got a bunch of three, four-star guys, and they're now they're sophomores. And they have a new, a new coach, too. And a new coach, yeah. So hopefully, look, it'll be good to be back. It'll be good to have St. John's basketball back. It's home, so hopefully we'll be there. Um, and hopefully we get the win. Shout out Vincentian Schools for holding it down on the non-conference. Well, well, one thing we should uh, really focus on that we never went to a pause. So we have been having practices with the guys that have been available. So there's some people that won't have that rust. And there's going to be some people that probably will have that rust coming back in. But we're playing at. Karnaseka, so we're not playing at the Garden. We're not worried about death perception or anything like that. We're playing on the home court, what we feel comfortable at the most. Hopefully, we'll have fans in attendance. That game Wednesday at Karnaseka Arena, six thirty on FS1. The other game this week, Saturday at Providence, is still not determined what time that game will be played, but it is on FS1. Coming in, the Friars are 12-1 and on the year. They'll have DePaul and Marquette before coming to us, so their record will change. Top 25 team. This is a team that was underrated to start the season, didn't get a lot of respect and out of conference, but has proven themselves so far through their Big East games. A win at Connecticut when they were ranked 20th and a win home against Seton Hall at 15. This Friar team could make some real noise, and so far they have. They're led by Nate Watson, 14 points a game, 14.8. He also leads the team in blocks per game, and he's second in rebounding with 5.7. They've got Al Durham averaging 12.8 points, and Noah Horklear, who leads the team with 8.3 rebounds. Their rebounding margin is only plus 4, which is... High. I mean, it, plus four rebound margin is great, uh, but it's not super high, so it's something we could kind of eat into. They're also even on the turnover margins. They only turn the ball over 11 times, which could be trouble for us in the game. Yeah, in years past, they have eaten us alive on the boards. They've had big men. They just dump it in, and uh, we've struggled with that. Um, 
having Soriano, I think, is very helpful. So hopefully we'll be able to, you know, hold our own there and, and at least keep the rebounding battle close. Um, it's funny, I was looking back. Um, we've actually won three in a row against Providence. Um, prior to that, they won six in a row. Yikes. <laughs> so that's where our, my uh, PTSD comes from with Providence. But uh, over the last the last three times, we be- we've beaten them. Uh, so that's kind of good going in. They they do play a big game though. I yes. mean, Horclear and Watson are both big guys down low, which you talked about Soriano being an important piece. I think he absolutely will. I think we'll get some Omar Stanley minutes here. Nywe obviously going to be in the mix. Those are guys who are going to have to play big in this game for us. No pun intended, but they're going to have to play big in the big roles because size-wise, Providence has a bit of an advantage in that their leading guys are their big guys. Yeah, and like to your guys' point, they've always played a big man game. Uh, they always play down low. They always do screens right in the paint to get the guy to quick up real quick. That's their um, that's their style of offense. They play in the paint. They do you know down screens, side screens, and they do backcourt cuts. I mean, they 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 do a lot of they play a lot of games through the paint. Whether it's you know directly stapling yourself in the paint and asserting your dominance and making it the focal point, or cutting through to go to the other side for the open three. They they play around the paint, so that's going to be an important you know very important piece of our game which it always is sadly it's the part that we lack usually so this is a game that we really gotta it's gonna be a real 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 test for us they're a good team we need to show that we can come up to a team that's they're kind of the opposite of us we're a run and gun kind of team and they're a set themselves up on a half court kind of team so this this will be a good test for us yeah watson's i mean he's one of the best players in the conference um he has dominated this year um so definitely putting a stop to him is going to be, I mean, he's averaging, what, 15.8 points a game, um, which is great for a big man. Um, so we got to, it's great for anybody. This, this will be man. our first quad one opportunity. Obviously, yes. it's our second Big East game. It'll be a quad one opportunity for sure. Al Durham is a guard for them. He's leads the team in assists, averaging 3.8 per game. He's a guy who's going to, facilitate for them and could cause problems for us on the outside posh almost certainly will be up against him if posh is eligible to play and you know posh is going to have to be on his a game yeah absolutely al durham he came from indiana funny enough that we played in indiana this season now he's coming from indiana last year he's a grad transfer year he does lead the team in assists with 3.8 but he also leads the team in turnovers at 2.9 so he's a 6-4 guard so if posh plays on him he might be a little undersized but he's we all know posh he's very scrappy and if al durham's already averaging almost three turnovers a game i would love to watch posh on him all game providence is 31 in the net so this is a I mean, it's quad one because it's on the road. And it would almost, they're one spot away from it being quad one, even if they're at home. Even if we were at home, I mean. But that's that's how the level of Providence is at. I mean, they're almost top 30. So we'll see where they're at, too, when we play. But with the, after the DePaul game for them uh, and the Seen Hall win, just going back to DePaul, they are 59th in the net. Um, so that will not be a quad one opportunity for us at home. Uh, it's a quad two, two, I believe. Yeah, quad two. Um, yeah, quad two. So, still important. Still want a game we got to win. Um, but the Providence one is certainly a huge opportunity for us. If we can get that win on the road against a good Providence team, that would be spectacular. 
Also, one more thing. Unfortunately, the COVID, um, not pause, but the COVID break, it kind of took away our soft opening that we had a little bit, uh, which is going to be tough for us. You know, we, we went from playing uh, Scene Hall, which obviously not soft, uh, but playing Butler, Butler Marquette, Marquette, and at Georgetown. at Georgetown, and home against DePaul as our first four, four of our first five games. We're looking, all right, you know, kind of get off running, get to a good start. Now our start is home against DePaul, okay, at Providence, at Connecticut, home against Georgetown, at Creighton. It's a tougher opening than and we had. And then we play the double Seton Hall game. And then right after that, Villanova, and then Providence again. Right. So it, we took away that little soft cushion we had to start, which is, is rough. And now we're right into the fire again. Well, we do get a DePaul game, although DePaul is good. But right, we can start with DePaul and, and hope to, to play hard. If this team's going to be a tournament team, they're going to have to win these games anyway. Yep. It is what it is. You got to play the games on their schedule, and we got to win those games. So, uh, like you said, if we're going to be a tournament team, it doesn't matter how hard the schedule is. You got to win games. Now that we've taken a look at the rescheduling because of the COVID rules and the games for this week, let's go to our interview. We'd like to welcome on Marcus Hatton, St. John's all-time career points per game leader and all-time single-season steals leader. Marcus, how's it going? All is well. I thank you guys for having me on. Vince, Tim, and Nick, man, is, you know, anything that has something to do with St. John's, I'm definitely a supporter of it. So what made you go to St. John's? Um, It's funny that you asked. Um, when I look back at it and think about the path that kind of led me there it was the same path that, you know, led Boosie Thornton there. But for me, I was, um, I had went to junior college in Florida, and I think I was, um, kind of homesick. I was too far away from home. So I knew that wherever I went to college at after junior college, that it was probably going to be somewhere close to home where I can get, because, you know, I wanted family and friends to be really, really close to come see me play, but also getting to interact with the guys and Mike Jarvis and Darren Play and Deuce and Kevin Clark and all those guys to, you know, Alex Evans that showed me, you know, what St. John's was all about on my recruiting trip. And then it was sold every after then. I think it was the first day and I was ready to sign. So it was like, it was those guys, but, you know, they showed me, you know, what St. John's was really about. So who is your best friend on the team? Andre Stanley. All right. But, you know, like, I mean, it's cause it, it's definitely a tie because, you know, Anthony Glover and um, Willie Shaw, those are the ones I really, really keep in, you know, and John Shiman, I keep in contact with the most, Kyle Cuff. So, I mean, I mean, a lot of us, I still, I'm still in contact with. Yeah, we actually we actually had Kyle. Uh, he did an interview with us a couple weeks ago. He was talking okay. about it too. He he's a really nice guy, really good guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kyle was definitely um, ahead of his time. Like you know, this was before they even knew anything about stretch fours and fives. And Kyle Cup was able to actually, um, you know, space the flow out. You know, like you know, I didn't. Um, I don't think he reached his full potential, but you know, I just think it was a difficult situation there, which we had to go through. But you know, I learned a lot from him, man. That's my brother for life. So what's uh what's kind of your favorite memory from your time at St. John's? I mean, honestly, man, when I first got there and finding out that ESPN was gonna do a story on us for the whole year, man, I thought that was um very unique, right? Where I was really excited about that because at that time, you know, I was really, you know, wanting to represent for the city of Baltimore and I wanna, you know, a lot of the people to see, you know, the daily struggles or what we go through to get, you know, to get prepared for the season and, you know, the games. And the crazy part about it is, you know, as soon as I got there, that's when 9-11 happened. So I, I I didn't know anything about terrorists or anything at that time. You know, all I could think about is that we, we wasn't playing. 
and then, you know, once you learned the magnitude of what was going on at that time, you started to understand how bad it was. So, you know, I think, like I said, number one thing was just, you know, St. John's being close to home and then planning, Madison, having the opportunity to play in Madison Square Garden and in front of, well, you know, New York, you know, just the New York fan base was amazing. What did you, did you prefer playing in the garden or did you kind of feel a little more at home at Alumni Hall? I think my biggest games came in the garden, but I, I had an appreciation for both. One, because I know um, planning the garden, some of the um, best players in the world had their best moments there and defined their career. Um, Conasecca Hall now, you know, Conasecca Arena now, you know, just the um, whole thing of just having a vibe with the, um, with the student, with the fans, you know, the student section. So that was a, that was definitely a unique thing as well. One of, I know our favorite memories and probably one of the biggest memories at the garden uh, was the Duke game where your free throws won the game. What was that? What was that game like? What was it like being on the line at the end of that game, shooting the free throws to win? Uh, man, it's something that I, I practice uh up until that time, every day, day in and day out, you know, my grandmother used to get so upset at me because I should, you know, play ball or act like I was playing ball in a house and she couldn't stand, you know, me running and jumping and, you know, kind of uh, imitating, you know, what exactly happened. Being on the line with no time on the clock, having a chance to win the game against such a historic college, man, it was, it was an unbelievable feeling. Um, also, too, I won't be, I won't be, you know, I'll be very transparent. Like, you know, I didn't want to hear my friends talk bad if I missed that shot, man, because I think it was like 20 <laughs> or 30 of them at the game, and they wouldn't have let me hear the end of it. So <laughs> it's, it's rare you get a chance with no time left on the clock to actually just seal the game with some free throws. That's a very rare opportunity. Man, you can, you, it's something you only dream of. Like, you know, you practice so much as a kid growing up, you know, counting down five, four, three, two, one, wanting to hit the game when the shot is time expired. And, you know, to actually have that opportunity to make it a reality, man, it was like, you know, I felt like I couldn't waste that moment. During that uh, last free throw, when it, when it went in, uh, you could see the camera would shake from the fans. Could you feel that on the courts? 19,623 people, I think, was the total of that game, March, March 2nd, 2003. Um, man, it was an electric moment, man, from celebrities being there to, like I said, the um, St. John's fan base being there and, and having the opportunity to go against one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest college coach ever, and Mike Szczeski. Man, it was just an unbelievable feeling, man. Playing in New York in the early 2000s as New York's real basketball team, you know, what kind of, what kind of extracurricular things kind of did you guys get into in terms of being like, you know, going out and partying and stuff like that? Stories that, you know, you may not have told the coach at the time, but now that we're, you know, beyond, beyond the limits, you can, you can yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. a little bit. Um, honestly, you know, I, I was a basketball junkie. Um, you know, if I would like, I would most of most of the travel or, or going out, I would do. I would probably, you know, whenever we had days off, I was going back to Baltimore because I was still kind of homesick from, you know, Tallahassee, not really understanding the magnitude of New York being a big city prior to just everybody just saying that, and actually getting the opportunity to explore the city and meet the people, interact with the people. Man, it was legendary. Definitely became my second home. Always say that. Um, um, actually, my oldest son. I got two kids. Um. Marcus Jr. and Adonis Hatton. And, you know, like he, he was actually, um, he's actually born in New York, in the Bronx, actually. So who was the team you hated playing the most? 
Hmm. I think each year it became different. Um, I think my first year was uh Manhattan. Well, it actually, honestly, both years was Manhattan because um, you know they had such a uh, they had two really really good guards at the time and Louis Flores and um, what's my guy named Muggsy something, and they were really really good man. Those guards were scrappy. They can score the ball. They was crafty. You know they played defense. Like they were just really really good. And you know, Jarvis used to always say, "Man, don't don't underestimate them. Don't underestimate them." And I was like, "Man, we playing Manhattan. I'm like, I got this." <laughs> and you know, end up honestly having been my worst um, two games probably of my college career. Um, I think I had the first year four or six, and then come right back and repeat the same thing. Wow! Who so for me, it was like for me it was, because everybody else, I was I was excited. I was looking for the challenge. I was looking forward to the challenge. You know, like when you play against um, Miami, we had like a, a ton of NBA guys on the team at that time. Um, Darius Vice, John Salmon, uh, Marcus Barnes, and all those guys. Uh, you know, of course, Duke, you get to play against Jason Williams and see, you know, kind of see where the measure stick holds up to. Uh, Boston College and Troy Bell. Uh, Connecticut, of course, against um, Ben Gordon and um, Karan Butler and Mecca Okafor, um, Talik Brown. Um, the list goes on and on because right? I, I I'll have you guys on here all day, man, just having these flashbacks. Man. You know, that was the good old days, man. I always called it the golden era. You know, when we speak about that, man, because um, you know, it's kind of it's difficult now because uh, I think UConn is back now, but you know, Miami left, Virginia Tech left, and you know, they were all Big East teams. Yeah, it really was the golden age for the Big East, though. That was, you know, prime time games were j- just. You know, something different about the Big East back then. Who was the toughest player you think you played against? Um, whew. Honestly, and I say this, like I always tell people, you know, I, I had a problem guarding uh, Brandon Knight the most um, because he would just run off screens, and I hated chasing people off screens. <laughs> and I was better at guarding on the ball. You know, I used to hate getting hit by the big guys with screens because once they touched me, they slowed me down, so that kind of. You know, took away. I thought my um, instincts on or attacking the ball on defense. So uh, my toughest guard at that time, you know, you know, Brandon Knight, of course, Ben Gordon, Troy um, Bell, Chris Tom. Like the man, I'll be like I said, I'll be in here all day, naming, like, you know, naming the names because you know the one thing that you know to me what stood out is you know, night in and night out, you had marquee matchups with you know players who were right high in their conference. You know. Like I said, right. Troy Bell, Karan Butler, Ben Gordon, um, Chris Torrance, you know. So each night you come in there, you're like, man, you're going up against NBA talent. Well, so, you know, obviously playing such tough teams, what, what's the one game you'll never forget? Um, honestly, it was Rutgers on Father's Day. Um, or Singers Day, excuse me, not Father's Day, Singers Day. Um, I don't even think. I don't even know if I had any idea my, that my dad was there. And, um, you know, crazy to say, you know, that was, I think that was the last game that I know that he saw me play, you know. Wow. Um, he passed away in 2009, but, you know, by that time I had went pro and, you know, he never made it across to Europe to see me play. But, you know, it was special, man. I, I mean, I, man, the rim looked so big, man. It's just like everything I throw up. I could have turned around backwards and shot the ball in the pipe. <laughs> um, second half was amazing, man. I think um, I, either I was scored or, or they scored one more point. I think I had 30 points in the second half and Rucker had 31. Or I had 31 and Rucker had 30 or something crazy like that. But wow. that game on, on Sunday night, and my dad to be able to uh, see that in front of in Madison Square Garden. Because, you know, when I was a kid, you know, he would take me to games. 
and he would talk so much about Earl of Pearl. He would talk so much about Walt Clyde Frazier. And, and, you know, those stories kind of stuck with me, you know. And to actually have him be able to have the opportunity to tell his story about his son, man, I just thought it was, you know, something that you can't really you know, imagine how, you know, unbelievable feeling it was. It was definitely a blessing. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that was your highest scoring night almost ever, right? You only had one other night higher than that? No, I think that was the highest. Oh, that was the highest? Yeah. Besides you being just an amazing scorer at all facets of the game, your stealing ability is just, your timing is perfect. Do you focus on the down dribble or the bounce back up of the ball? Um, it, it just, to me, depends on like how you're dribbling. So, for instance, um, I used to be really, really good at getting a guy to turn his back. And I knew that in order to speed up or turn your back and then which way you had to put the ball on the floor. So I was kind of like, so, so to me it would be more on the way down than up. Cause once he, once he let the ball go, my father's always telling me, um, it's about uh, a half a second from every time the ball leaves your hand to the floor. And he always used to say, you know, you can hit, he, he used to count dribbles. I wasn't that good. You know, I wasn't that good to kind of pick up it on dribbles. So I kind of always use anticipation. So wherever I thought the ball would be at, like I used to thought, like you know, I just be in that spot where, and that kind of helped me with, like you know, getting to you know a lot of steals and even rebounds for certain, for this, you know, for the size that I was. Your your steal numbers are insane. We were looking at them. We were looking at them the other day. You're first and second in a single season, and the next closest person, I think, what what was it, Vincent? Was like so. So you, so you had the the best season of steals ever in St. John's history uh, in a single season with 105 steals. You also had the second best season of steals all time with 100. Third place was Shamari Pons. He had 87. So he was 13 behind you, your second best season. And he was the uh, 18 behind you, your best season. You, you, you know, people forget you only played at St. John's for two years. You're seventh all time in steals, period. And, yeah. and to be first in career points per game, it, it I mean, your two years at St. John's are, are absolutely phenomenal. I mean, just stat-wise, you know, I know Walter Berry and, you know, came from a junior college, but I, I would venture to say you are the best junior college player to ever come through St. John's just because you killed it. I mean, you led the team, both of your teams, and, you know, you, you had an amazing career here. Thank you, man. I greatly appreciate it, man. Like I said, um, one of the number one things for me, man, was, you know, rep- being able to have the opportunity to represent New York. Um, I thought that was big. Like I said, my number one priority is representing Baltimore. But, you know, when you come to New York, man, and the fan base and, and you know, how, you know, you guys, you know, helped us in like, more ways than not, you know, it was just a, a electric feeling. All right. So leading off of that question, what uh, what's your all-time St. John's top five? Of course, you got the goat, which is Mullen. Sure. Definitely Connors. got Walter. Definitely got Walter Barry in there. Okay. Um, Walter Barry, Chris Mullen. Because you want to get to you know, I got so many favors. I don't know, like <laughs> everybody wants Sizer guard. Yeah, because Omar Cook to me is really, you know, he was really amazing. You know, in the one year that he had, just just imagine 
how many assist all the assist records he would have broke. You know, I think him and Mark Jackson would have been one and two or one A and one B. Mm. So I say, you know, um, of course, Walter Barry, Chris Mullen, um, Malik Sealy, Felipe Lopez. And you gotta go Ron Artest. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Wow, didn't Keep you put yourself? Didn't you put yourself in there? I mean, it's tough when you when you make that list, you know, you put yourself and that's for other people, you know, and I, you know, when you say you're top five, you know, you got to pay um, homage to the guys who were before you and, you know, who you had the chance to emulate. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. So, so now that we're back with uh, Nike, uh, you, mm-hmm. are there any jerseys you want to see brought back from your time or any like retro jerseys you think we should kind of go back to? Yeah, I I really love the Jordan brand jerseys that we had. I thought all of them were really, really good. I, I was just, I think last week or two weeks ago um, on Twitter, somebody had posted the um, jersey that Felipe and the man, I thought they were the worst jerseys ever, man. I thought that design was terrible, but um, I like the jerseys that um, that 2000 team wore that won the Big East. Those jerseys was really, really nice. I love those Jordan jerseys. I got a yeah, pair of those. those uh, I got a pair of those uh, shorts when I was at St. John's. Yeah, it was dope. So what what's the best piece of advice you ever got from a coach or another player at St. John's? At St. John's? Yeah. Mike Jarvis was really, really good at um, life skills teaching. So, I mean, I, at that time, honestly, couldn't really appreciate or understand what he was saying because my, I wasn't really mature enough to take on what he was trying to tell me. But uh, Darren Player was really, really like he played an integral part in a lot of my success. Um, he been around a lot of the New York talent. Him understanding the game with, uh, you know, what St. John's represent, but also him too, you know, also helped giving me confidence and you know, tell, let me know, like you know, you I feel like you're the best player in the league, man. You got to go out there and show it, you know, every night. So I think he was right, played a bright integral part in, in my success. Nice. Um, all right, so let's move to your uh, post-St. John's career. I know you had a, a long career overseas. Uh, you had a great career overseas. Um, so what was the um, – what was your favorite country to play in uh, throughout your career? I always tell people 1A and 1B is um, Israel and Greece, so Greece and Israel. Greece, I would say, probably be 1A, and then Israel would be 1B. Um, I fell in love with the culture of Greece. Um, the architect, the, the, you know, the aura of just – hearing about Greek mythology and, and the wars and what they represented, I, I, you know, I really fell in love with it. So Greece for me would be 1A and then Israel will be really, will be some close second, man. It's, it's such a beautiful country. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I went to Greece after vacation and I can, from the very short time I was there, I can agree that Greece is an amazing place to, to see and, and be around. Um, I'm sure you have a better, I'm sure you have a better understanding than I do, but. Oh man, listen, it was 2004-ish, I want to say. So 2004, um, you know, we would we would have practice at like 12 noon or or 11 or something, and then we'd be finished by like 12:30 because they had Shabbat on Friday. We would leave we would leave practice and go straight to the beach. Wow. And at this time, like I'm, I, this is before I even knew, like before Hooker even, you know, became such a sensation. You know yeah. what, what's going on in the world now? I'm like, man, what are they doing? They're like, man, we're smoking. Uh, Flavored tobacco is what they called it back then. <laughs> you know, they ain't really called it hookah flavor. Yeah, and all yeah. that. They just called it flavored tobacco. And I'm like, these people are crazy smoking this stuff. And fast over 10, 15 <laughs> years later, you know, it's, it's, it, it took over. It took over the world. That's funny. And what was your what was your best professional basketball memory? 
Um, I, I just, like I said, man, I'm just a basketball junkie, man. And just so many, because like, you know, the game to me, the game meant so much to me that I, you know, I never took it for granted. You know, I, I can remember playing, you know, tough times in Poland where, you know, you it's cold, snow about three, four feet off the ground. You, you know, you got to dig a hole out, you dig a call out your hole. I mean, dig your car out a hole <laughs> and still go to practice driving, you know, on those roads in those type of conditions. And, you know, like I said, for the love of the game, man, we, we, we did so much. Like we went anywhere all over the world to play, not having an understanding of what we were walking into. Um, Italy was good, you know, just the, you know, just the name itself, you know, said a lot. Um, as I got older, I started to, you know, saying, you know, you might not never get this opportunity again, man, you know, take advantage, you know, interact with the locals and, you know, figure out how people, you know, evolve and get around there. So I think, like I said, um, each place holds a special uh, meaning for me. How many, how many uh, countries did you play in? I want to say it's a total of eight. Germany, Poland, Israel, Greece, um, Venezuela, Romania, wow. Belgium. Did I say Belgium? Belgium yeah. was my most depressed place ever. I swear. Like <laughs> I think I was over there for 10 months or nine months. And I think out of nine months, we had like four sunny days. Oh, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, and, and then we were play so late that once you finish playing, like you don't have nowhere to go eat. Like, and you can't just go nowhere because, you know, we were, we, you know, we was had to wait till we go to the army base to get, you know, food that we understood. And that didn't happen until Sunday. Wow. Oh, wow. Jeez. That's crazy. So what was it like playing in the basketball tournament? It was fun. Um, the opportunity presented itself. Um, I didn't, I, you know, I was just like, okay, let me give it a try and, you know, see what it's like. Um, I actually um, shot the ball really, really well. I, I played really, really well there. We was two games away from winning. Um, the day before, well, the morning before, I used to always work out before I played. So that morning I had um, actually jogged over the um, Brooklyn Bridge. I jogged over the Brooklyn Bridge, had a little workout on the other side, jogged back to the hotel, got something to eat and tried to you know, get myself back ready for the game in like two or three hours or something like that. Uh, first half I was good. Second half I gassed out. That can have my gas out, man. It was like, God damn it. <laughs> You're probably regretting running the Brooklyn Bridge at that point. Yeah, that Brooklyn Bridge, man. You know, but see, at that point, I was turning, I was already had became, you know, a workout uh, fanatic. So, you know, I, that was very challenging for me. It wasn't about regretting. It was just like, okay, you know, next time, you know, you maybe run a half, a halfway over. So it was always a measurement stick. You still led your team in scoring in the, in the TBT, so you weren't good yet. <laughs> uh, so what was it like going back to school to get your degree after having gone and played abroad? It was challenging but exciting at the same time. Um, I don't know if y'all knew the journey that I was doing to actually obtain my degree. So um, I was just starting high school, co coaching high school basketball here in Baltimore. And I had to go to school on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday in, in St. John's. But I had games on Wednesday and Friday. Okay. Oh, man. So Tuesday morning, I would leave here like 5.30, 6 o'clock to make it to my um, 10 o'clock class. That class would be for three hours, and I had another three-hour class. You know, and then I would stay up there, and then I would, um, you know, go to class on Tuesday. And I mean, Wednesday, and then soon as class was over, I was right on the highway to make it to, you know, my high school basketball game. 
Oh man! Wow! So it was definitely fun because also too I got to I got a chance to interact with my son because um you know he was in 10th or 11th grade at that time and you know he was kind of struggling with you know how much work that school gives and I was trying to you know show him by example like he's like yo dad, dad did you just do something yesterday or you know <laughs> right. earlier I said man it don't never stop mm-hmm. so I was kind of trying to show him by example that you know no matter what's coming you know I accept everything that come with you know being a basketball player. So we we were actually uh, we talked a little bit about this before you got on the call. We were debating whether driving was faster or taking the train. We weren't sure which we did at the time we were talking, but that drive every day had to be had to be wild. Um, I actually like driving, so it wasn't a problem to me. Um, the train is probably more comfortable, um, especially if you're driving. You know, like you don't you know, but you you going how you gonna get around? You know, subway. Um, it was funny. It's funny that you say that now because um, I had told my quadriceps in in 2015 and I had to, I was taking a train back and forth to Bronx to St. John's to get on um, treatment. And man, it was t- like, I think like the train was fast, but that travel was like two hours. That commute is two hours. That's not bad. That's not so yeah. bad. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I like driving, so yeah, I, would always, I, I, I would lean towards driving too. I, I was on the driving team. I thought that was a better choice. Well, I mean, we're we're wild with our driving. We drove all the way straight to Lawrence, Kansas, once. We we do enjoy driving. So yeah. I, from New York, yeah, from yeah from New Jersey. We live in New Jersey. But. Wow, how long? How many hours was that? So it uh so actually they had to so I uh I was in uh, Virginia. So so three of the guys actually drove down to Virginia, which took them about seven hours. And then uh, we drove straight out from there to Kansas, which took about 18 hours, uh, mm. which was, we had an RV, so we were just trading off, but it was, it was a trip. It was a trip. So, uh, well, yeah, definitely the driving, uh, you know, that, that two hour commute though, it's still a long, long drive every day and getting right. back in time for your basketball game to coach. So yeah, yeah. is coach coaching obviously is something you're interested in, you know, w- would you like, you know, to be involved at St. John's or are you, you looking to just, you know, remain high school or are you just, you know, is it, is it more of a hobby for you or is there something you want to commit to in the future? Um, actually definitely looking forward to uh, being assistant coach, head coach or getting an opportunity to coach St. John's and investing in the cards. Um, right now, you know, I'm, I'm in support of Mike Anderson and Mike Craig. I love what they're doing, how they're turning it around. Those guys are doing an amazing job. So, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, then I would more than likely, you know, be happy to, you know, help lead St. John's to his first championship. So, I mean, we're big Mike Anderson fans, too. We think the staff and Mike Craig are doing a great job. Um, so are, are you obviously you were back in school more recently with the staff. Are, are you know, are you kind of tight with the staff. Do you know them pretty well? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, um, they, like I said, I know um, TJ, I know Mark, I know uh, Megan, I know um, all those guys, man. We, we, we still, we still zending, you know, we still talk, you know, every now and then. Um, Mike Anderson, you know, we really, you know, stay in contact and I let them know that, you know, whatever you need me for, I'm here. So, so outside of the coaching, what else have you been up to uh, recently? Uh, man, um, about six, seven months ago, opened up a, a plant-based cafe here in Baltimore um that's been taking up a lot of my time you know i mean you know just trying to create a healthy lifestyle you know a healthy way of eating in in the inner city of baltimore um we don't have so many um you know all natural plant-based places to have you know to get you some good food especially in the inner city because all 
you know, stores that, you know, you get all the bad stuff that you put in your body. Right. Um, that was one of the things I was doing. Then I was um, end up doing personal training. Like I was doing fitness training. I became a fitness enthusiast. So, you know, on Tuesdays, we, you know, I mean, every day during the pandemic, we would, um, you know, have large groups at a um, park here in Baltimore and worked out and trained people. Sometimes we would get 20, 30, 40, 50 people a day. That's awesome. What's the name of your cafe? Legendary Lifestyle Cafe. All right. We'll have to check it out next time we're in Baltimore. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Drop well, the Instagram. Over. What's the Instagram? <laughs> Drop your tags. All right. But that's the Instagram as well. Legendary Lifestyle Legendary. Cafe. All right. Matter of fact, I'm going to put it in the group text now. <laughs> All right. We appreciate <laughs> Perfect. it. Perfect. We, we saw you, you made an NFT. Um, is, yeah. that, is that kind of a world you're involved in a little bit? You're interested in, in doing stuff like that more? Absolutely. Um, we definitely, um, in the works of my next um, NFT, it'll be um, a series of things, but it also come with, uh, we're probably going to do um, a meet and greet with one with, um, with one of the exclusive items. And then we're going to um, do like um, an autographed t-shirt or something, um, St. John's t-shirt or something for the other one. So, you know, I, I'm definitely um, trying to, in the process of starting um, like a consultant for, for NFTs, because it's such a unique thing for college kids to be a part of right now. And it's not a hard process. It's not hard at all, especially with the fan base and, and social media and all that stuff now. So, you know, just getting in. Once you tap into that market, then. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That, that combined with the new NIL law rules, like, you can, they, they could spread like wildfire. Like, all these guys are oh, yeah, making their yeah. NFTs for themselves and making, you know. Yeah. We also, also have a business partner. Um, my, his name is James Decker. He's also a St. John's fan. Um, we actually have a company called Lightning Sports which is geared towards helping, um, you know, college kids create their brand and get and monetize off of their name, image, and likeness. Do you like that rule change? I think it's, I think it's a good rule change for, it allows, you know, college kids and stuff like that to you know, do good stuff for that. I think it's a good change. What do you, what do you think about that? I definitely think it gives um, indication that, you know, you, you guys need to understand the business side as well, not just, the, um, you know, just playing basketball because, you know, even a year or, or six months or, you know, have a good year you have, then, you know, you become a brand, whether you're part of a Nike brand or, you know, you create your own brand. So I think it was an amazing job. I think the NCAA got it right. Um, like I said, I just hope uh, a lot of the kids, you know, make the most of it because it's there for you know guys to create their brand even if they don't excel even if they don't go further than you know college because they have such a big fan base in college that you know a lot of people will idolize and remember what you did there nice so when so uh, you talked to the coaching staff when are they going to retire uh when are you going to make your number or legacy number for uh, st john's again <laughs> we can cross that out right i don't know i think also too you know it's difficult um you know, earning a spot there. Um, there's a lot of greats that came through that program to the to the university. Um, if it does happen, then it'll definitely be an honor to see them raise number um, jersey number one in the Raptors. Uh, you know, that would be something I'll be honored by. So should we start a campaign? That's what, that's what we do. Start tweeting at them every day until they, until they do it. Girl, let's start the campaign. Let's start the <laughs> retire number one campaign. I'm that's with it. it. I'm We're with in. it. We're in. All right. What, what, was your, what was your favorite place to eat over, over by St. John's? They had a diner on one of these corners, man. I think it's um, Kissinger, Kissinger, whatever it's called. They had like a double T diner or something right there, man. I used to go there and they used to have these blueberry pancakes, man. And I would get them there every morning, man. So, <laughs> there you go. So, so uh, do you come? Do you come up to any games still, or? 
I haven't been to any games this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was going to the uh, game, the Georgetown game, um, on January first, and then you know whenever the next home game or the first Madison, I mean the Madison Square Garden game, I was going to attend. But um, I don't know how you know what they what's going to be the protocol or what they're going to do. I saw I just saw today that they had re- rescheduled, reinstated one of the games, which was uh I think again Seton Hall. Yeah, Seton Hall. Yeah, so they're they're working to get back on track. Right, right. Well, all right, Marcus. It's been absolutely great having you on the show. We really appreciate it. I thank you guys for having me again, man. It was great talking about old times, about the golden era. Um, man, I wish you guys all the success moving forward and you know on your podcast journey, man. In any way I can help you guys, don't hesitate. Awesome. Thanks, man, so much. We'll we'll definitely look out for you at the first uh, Madison Square Garden game. All right, cool. Thanks, Marcus. All we right. appreciate hey. it. Thank you. We want to thank Marcus for coming on and spending some time with us. It was really interesting to see how he's been doing. Yeah, I think it was great. Uh, Marcus was always one of my favorite players growing up, like you said. Um, so it was great to hear. He's doing great. He had a you know good career. It was awesome. Tim, I think that was a great question about uh, the steals and how he kind of saw it because of how good he was at steals. I thought it was just very interesting the way he, he talked about it, and it was good good insight there. Yeah, his love for basketball really came out in that interview. You could tell he's a guy that's a, a basketball nut. He he loves everything basketball. But you could really hear the passion that he has for basketball. And I really do hope he gets to be able to become an assistant coach one of these days for St. John's. Yeah, it would be awesome to see him back with the program. Yeah, I would absolutely love to see him in the program. He looks like a guy who's – just a gym rat will be there all the time. You know, even, I mean, even as a coach, I could see him being there all the time. And he seems, he is from what he told us and everything, you know, I've heard and read about him. He's very stand up guy. He's very family man. He cares about all the values and, you know, all the good stuff if, you know, you know, nuclear family unit. And that goes a long way with the team because that's a family as a coach. And if, you know, if you're a gym rat and you have, strong family values that's great i could that would be amazing if you could talk about dedication driving from baltimore uh, to get his degree and 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 finish and complete that as a ways to role model for his son that's a great story yeah that's that's amazing that was that was a great hearing that and then hearing about you you could tell how the the last game where his senior night where his father got to see him play you could tell yeah how emotional that was for him and how awesome of a moment that must have been. He said that was bigger than the Duke moment. Right. Bigger than winning true. the game-winning free yeah. throw. All right. If you happen to be in the Baltimore area, be sure to check out Legendary Lifestyle Cafe. Also, this is now the official start. I would like to start the campaign to get a Marcus Hatton's number one retired or as a legacy number at St. John's. So this is the official start. Look out on Twitter. We're going to start a hashtag. Mike Craig, we're looking at you. All right. That'll do it for the show. For Craig, Tim, and Nick, I'm Vincent. Happy New Year's. Thanks for listening. Go Johnnies. Keep chasing.